You believe that this morning? God is faithful. We can stand on his promises. I want you to stand with us as we sing that. Sure ourselves, we can stand on the promises of God.
We thank the Lord that here at Brinesburg we have the opportunity throughout the year to commission folks as they go on missions and as they go to camps. And one of the things that we see as one of our greatest mission fields is our local schools. And the Lord has given us so many students, he's given us so many teachers, faculty members, staff members uh, within our schools, within our college education systems, uh, folks that are going to be going back into those places this next week. And so uh, a few years back, we started what we refer to as Backpack Blessing Sunday. And it's just an opportunity for us to focus on uh, the mission field the Lord is sending so many of our folks into in the coming week. And so this morning, I'd like to ask all of our students uh, whether you be a preschooler all the way through college, uh, if you be a teacher, a staff member, a faculty member uh, from any of our schools, if you just come forward and we want to pray over you and we want to commission you as you get ready to go back onto those mission fields. And so if you're in the choir, if you're in uh, the pews, if you just come forward this morning and allow us to pray over you as you go back onto those mission fields in the coming days this week. We've got quite a few, don't we? <laughs> Amen. Look at all these missionaries. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for these teachers and staff members and uh, the way the Lord's going to use them this year as well. Here they come. All right. you want to if uh, if you just want to put a hand out towards them and let's pray over them this morning Lord Heavenly Father we come to you today and we thank you for each student preschool through college Lord we thank you for each teacher we thank you for each staff member uh, Lord for aides and, and janitors and cafeteria uh, workers Lord for bus drivers uh, for those that have any part in the education systems of of this area, Lord, that are a part of this church family. Lord, we just thank you uh, for the impact that they're going to have in the coming year. And Lord, I know that there is anxiousness as we head into another, another school year. And Lord, I just pray that you would give them peace, a peace that passes understanding. Lord, that you're going to use them in a powerful way. Lord, I, I pray that you would give them uh, influence in the lives of folks around them. Lord, I, give, I pray that you would give them a, a testimony that they can share uh, with those around them in the coming year. And Lord, I pray that you would lay a hedge of protection around each student, around each, each uh, adult today. Lord, that you might just uh, allow them to feel safe in those places that they're going to be going. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just continue to help us as a church family to lift them up on a daily basis. And uh, Lord, to remember uh, what an awesome mission field that it is that we're sending them into. Lord, there's a lot of kids, there's a lot of, of adults that are going to be in these buildings who don't yet know you. But Lord, I don't believe it's by accident that these folks are going to be around your people. And so Lord, I pray that you might, even now, uh, prepare hearts uh, to come to know you in the coming year. Lord, we thank you uh, for e each family that's represented here. Bless them and, uh, and, and just allow them uh, to understand your presence in their lives throughout this year. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. And that strength and power comes because we have a Savior who is alive. He lives. He's there with us always. And that song reminds us of that. 
Because he lives, we can face what's ever out there tomorrow. Just stand with me as we sing and worship him. And sing this with confidence and joy. This is there with us. Here we go. God sent his son.
Thank you, D. Praise the Lord. It's been a wonderful day of worship, hasn't it? The Lord has moved. Wasn't it awesome just seeing uh, those kids and, and uh, teachers and staff members? Uh, what an awesome thing that was to, to witness this morning as well. Um, I always tell you as our church family that when the Lord moves in an awesome way, uh, that we need to praise him for it and give testimony for it. And so uh, I believe I need to do that this morning in, in our family's life. Um, some of you may know, uh, Levi had been having some leg pains over the last little bit. And uh, on July 11th, which was our night of the Lord's Supper, uh, there was an episode and, and he was hurting pretty bad. And even some of you saw that after the service. And we decided that we needed to take him to the doctor and, and uh, get an x-ray. And so we did that. And then the doctors told us that there was something that they needed to look closer at. So they did an MRI. And uh, the day of the MRI, I got a I wasn't there, and I uh, got a phone call from Robin. She said, you need to come. And so I uh, showed up, and uh, there was a tumor found in the bone in his right leg. And we didn't know exactly what that was, and uh, they didn't know exactly what that was. And so they sent us to Vanderbilt. And uh, as a parent, that's always a terrifying feeling to not know exactly what's inside of your kid. And so uh, we, we've been praying about it, and uh, they basically told us that Levi didn't need to do any sports. If you know Levi, oh boy. Uh, but no, no sports until something was, was found out of what's exactly going on here. And so that meant that he didn't get to go to Murray State basketball camp, which for a, a little 10-year-old is, is devastating. Uh, but we said that's going to be okay, but he, he did get to go to church camp. And... Uh, at church camp, there's, you know, he, he was concerned about it. He shared it with the group. And one of the things that he told me uh, during the week, it, we had talked about the fact that it was going to be a part of his testimony. Whatever happened here was going to be part of his testimony. Uh, but one, one of the nights, we were talking about faith, and he may share this tonight. I don't know. If he does, act surprised. Um, uh, one of the nights uh, at, at camp, we were talking about faith, and one of the points in the sermon was God always can, even if he doesn't. And uh, Levi told me, he said, you know, God, God can do whatever needs to be done here, even if he doesn't. And I thought, wow, for, for a 10-year-old, that's, that's pretty big to understand that. And so uh, it, it was a, a rough couple weeks as we waited on Vanderbilt to call us. And uh, this past week, they called and they said, uh, we, we've got an appointment if you can be here tomorrow. And so uh, we said, yeah, we can be there tomorrow. And so on Thursday, we went to Vanderbilt. And the doctor looked at, at what was going on, and, and she, the first thing she told us was, why don't you come over here and sit next to Levi while we explain to him what's going on? Which to a parent, you're just like, what's happening here? And uh, she began to explain things to us and pointing out that whatever it was in his leg was not dangerous. Whatever it was in his leg could stay there. And for a little 10-year-old, the most important thing, he can go back to playing football and basketball. Uh, and so um, we just praise God. Uh, we didn't know what that was, and God did, and we believe God took care of it. And so we want to praise him and thank him for his, for his care. Uh, but Robin and I wanted the church family to know because we know that you all were praying for him. You all were concerned about him. And he knew that too, and uh, he even expressed that. Of, I know I've got a whole church praying for me. And um, as a pastor, uh, I'm so thankful that my kids know nothing of what the negative side of being a pastor's kid is. They only know the positive. And that's because of you. And I appreciate that so much. And thank you. Let's pray.
Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for the watch care that you have in our lives and the lives of our family members. And this morning, we thank you that you are soon returning King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, today I pray that you would stir hearts. Lord, those of us who have a relationship with you, just to think about what it will be like when you return. And when you come back, not as, as one who has come to die on a cross, but as you come back as the conquering king. Lord, and I pray for those who don't yet know you, that today might be the day that they get prepared, that they recognize that you're calling their name, that you desire a relationship with them. But Lord, you desire for them to repent of their sins and to trust on you by faith. And so, Lord, today, uh, speak through your word once again. Lord, I, I pray that you would make it clear to us that your, your return is, is not an if, but it is very much a when. And we thank you for that assurance. Lord, I pray that today you would hide me behind the cross. Once again, that only you would be seen and that only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 21. As we look at the theme of the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, when I think about those words, the return of the King, it makes me think about J.R.R. Tolkien's work, The Lord of the Rings, uh, which was made into those three huge blockbuster movies by Peter Jackson, by Peter Jackson. Uh, that have become probably some of the top grossing movies of all time. I remember when those movies were, were coming out, I was in seminary. And so I was in Louisville during, during the time a lot of those movies were coming out. And uh, my dad and I, no matter where I was at, my dad would find me about the time that those movies came out. And we would go and we would go to the theater. And we made sure to watch all of those movies together because we just loved the, the, the story arc of what was going on in those movies. It was your classic good versus evil, uh, with the fate of the entire world at stake here. And just the, the images of that returning king, the rightful king, taking back his throne. I mean, even though you knew it was fictitious, it, it was tear-jerking. If you followed through, if you had invested your nine hours into the trilogy, uh, by the end of it, you were just, the return of the king just got you so excited and, and, and so worked up. But as much as I love that movie, The Return of the King, I know that it is nothing compared to The Return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's what we have set up for us here in Revelation 19. And so the opening chapters of this book set the tone for everything else that we're going to see in the Revelation. Revelation 1.1 tells us this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, 7 through 8 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The book is about, the entirety of the book is about the return of the King. The return of King Jesus to this earth to rule and to reign his creation. Revelation chapter 5 takes us into heaven. God is shown holding a book that is sealed with seven seals. We see here that a search is made in heaven and, and in earth to find someone who is worthy to open the book. 
but no one is found. John weeps at this news because he desperately wants to know what is written in the book. And John is told not to weep because the Lamb of God is worthy to take the book. When the Lord uh, takes that book from the hand of God, we're reminded that heaven erupts into praise and worship because the Lord Jesus has been found worthy to take the book and to open the seals. And so when we studied this chapter, we discovered that seven sealed book was the title deed to planet earth. See, Satan is called the God of this world. That's how he is oftentimes referred to even in scripture. Now, he may be the little g God of this world today, but he will not retain his grip on this world. This world belongs to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And the day will come when he takes possession of this world back away from Satan. This world belongs to Jesus because of three great truths. First of all, it is his by right of creation. He made it. It is his by right of Calvary. He redeemed it. And it is his by right of conquest. He will retake it. And the entire book of Revelation has been leading up to this great moment that we're going to consider this morning. This great moment when we see the return of the king. The whole purpose of the tribulation period, chapters 6 through 18, is to prepare the world for the coming of the king. The passage we're about to study today speaks of that great moment. That great moment and what I believe to be the near future when Jesus will return to this earth in power and in glory to claim what is rightfully his. You know, the first time Jesus came to this world, he came as a redeemer. The next time he comes, he will come as a ruler. The first time that he came, he faced a cross. But the next time, he will wear a crown. The first time that he came, there was a tomb. The next time he comes, there will be a throne. And I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus Christ will return to this world in all power and glory. And on that day, he will destroy his enemies and he will rule on this earth in righteousness. And so this morning, I want you to be able to answer this question before you leave this place. Are you ready for the return of the king? Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation 19, begin there with me in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may eat the flesh of kings 
and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his armies. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. Those both were, were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. You may be seated. What we see here is the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In verses 11 through 14, we see the coming king. And this is the second time that the door has been opened in heaven here in the book of Revelation. You'll remember the first time the door in heaven was opened, it was opened so that the church, so that we, the bride of Christ, could join the Lord in heaven. When this door is opened, it allows the Lord to ride out of heaven, to return to this earth. And so the first door speaks of the rapture of the Lord's church. The second door open in heaven speaks of the return of Christ. Two different events. And so we see in verses 11 through 13 the king's appearance. These verses tell us how the king will appear when he returns to this earth. First we see his nature. He is full of glory. When Jesus came to this earth the first time, he concealed his heavenly glory beneath the flesh of his body. Those who saw him we're told in Scripture, saw an ordinary Jewish man. Even though he was the creator of the universe and human flesh, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. But the next time he comes, things are going to be far different. He will come, we're told, on a white horse. Now, ancient Roman generals would ride a white horse in their triumphant processions after winning a battle. John sees here Jesus returning. And he sees him returning on a white horse as a conqueror. The last time the world saw Jesus, they saw him dead upon a cross. The world looked at Jesus and they saw a victim. But this time, they're going to see him as the victor. He is not coming the second time to die. He is coming to reign. Verse 12 describes Jesus as having eyes as a flame of fire. That speaks of his omniscience and his right to judge sinners. Jesus is coming as the one who sees all and knows all and controls all. He is returning not as the Savior, but as the judge. But also we see here, he is faithful and true. He is faithful and true. Have any of you ever thought of a modern politician as being faithful and true? I don't think any of us have ever thought those words about modern-day politicians. Modern-day politicians rarely speak the truth at all. They usually just tell us what they think that we want to hear at the time, and they lie to keep their jobs and to fulfill whatever their agenda is to keep them in power. Not so with Jesus. Jesus is not like those men. He always tells the truth, and he will do everything that he says he will do. And I'm glad that we can depend on every single promise that Jesus has made. We serve a promise-keeping God, and he will keep these promises as well. Men may fail us, but he will always do what is promised and what is right. But also we see the flights 
He, he, we see here that he fights in righteousness. He fights in righteousness. Many of this world's wars have been fought, we know, over false premises and foolish objectives. But our Lord's cause is just and it is holy. He fights for the honor of his Father's name and glory. He fights against unrighteousness and evil. He wages war for the glory of God and for the glory of God alone. But also we see here his name. It's the name of mystery. It's the name of mystery in verse 12. What is this mysterious name? Well, no one knows but him. You can study all the names that are given to Jesus throughout Scripture, and there are many. Just a few are Christ, Lord, Emmanuel, Master, the Logos of the Word, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of David, the Lamb of God, the second Adam, the light of the world, the King of the Jews. But he will still be more than our mortal finite minds can comprehend at the end of the day. But we see here to, to the point that mankind had refused to know Jesus at all. That's the real point here. Is that at this point at the tribulation, man had pushed Jesus away. They didn't want to know anything about Jesus. They would not use his name except as a byword, as a slang word, as a curse word. And I don't know about you, but that infuriates me when I hear individuals use the name of Jesus as a curse. It infuriates me. But now, the day of grace has forever passed. Now they cannot know him, even if they had desired to know him. But we also see that it is the name of ministry in verse 13. He is called the Word of God. The first time Jesus came, he came as God in human flesh. We see that in John 1.1 and in John 1.14. The Word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. He is the Word of God. He came to fulfill the promises and the prophecies of the Word. He came to go to the cross. He came to pay the cost for sin and for sinners. But the next time he comes, he's coming to fulfill the rest of the Word of God. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. But we also see in verse 16 that it is the name of majesty. His name is written on high. And we see that it is also written on his thigh. The thigh symbolizes strength and stability and power. When Jacob wrestled with the angel back in Genesis chapter 32, you'll remember that that, that wrestling match went on all night. And it was not until the angel touched Jacob on the thigh that his power to resist was broken. When Jesus comes the next time, he is not coming as the lowly Nazarene. He will not be the butt of cruel joking and mockery. He will not be mocked or stripped or beaten or spit upon or crucified. He will come the next time as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. His name is also written on his vesture. His garment is the symbol of his position. Think back to, to Jacob in that, that coat of many colors that he, that he gave to Joseph. That coat of many colors was telling Jacob that he was the favorite. He was telling Jacob's brothers that he was the favorite. Uh, we see that by the way that, Jacob's, uh, or that Joseph's brothers uh, responded to, to this coat that Jacob had given to, to Joseph. Joseph's brothers saw that coat. They knew who the favorite was. They knew who, who, who the apple of daddy's eye was. It was Joseph, and it was known because of what he wore. Well, Jesus is the favorite, okay? No question about it. There is a favorite son to God the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the ultimate ruler, and his very garments prove that he is worthy of faith and worship. But also we see in verse 13, the king's apparel. 
the king's apparel, his garments are stained with blood. And what is, where does this blood come from? They're stained with the blood of his enemies. And what a day it will be when the eastern sky rips asunder and King Jesus and all of his, of his glory and his power rides forth in awesome and absolute victory over all of his enemies and the, and the enemies of the church. We also see in verse 14, the king's army. I don't know, did anybody remember the song, I'm in the Lord's Army? You remember that? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the... Come on, people. I may never zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Well, who's the Lord's army? Who is it? You liked that, didn't you? Who is the Lord's army? We are. And you should have learned that in preschool. We are. We are the Lord's army. These verses tell us that Jesus will accomplish all of this with the army of the redeemed saints of God when he returns. Now, how do we know that these are the saints? Well, we look at what they're wearing. They're wearing clean clothes. They're wearing clothes of fine linen, of white, clean garments. Now, that's the same, that's the same wording that's used in verse 8 to speak of the bride of Christ. Now, why would an army wear white uniforms you know why, why would we have on white in the midst of a battle because we're not going to be fighting because we're going to be witnessing what God is doing because we see in verse 15 the king's armament when he comes Jesus will need no weapons of this world we're not going to have to be carrying semi-automatic weapons we're not going to have to be carrying swords we're not going to have to worry about any of those things because when Jesus comes, he's not going to need those things. What's he going to do? It says it right here. He is going to open his mouth and he's going to unleash what? The power of his word. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. There is power in his word. He created the universe and everything that's contained within it with the word of his mouth. His word has the power to bring light out of darkness, to bring life out of death. He speaks, and you know what? It happens. His word is a living thing. It is an extension of himself. It has the power to heal and to give life, but it also has the power to destroy and kill. Jesus spoke, and the waves lay down at his feet like a little puppy. He spoke, and the fig tree withered. He spoke, and a dead man named Lazarus walked out of his tomb four days after being placed in it. He spoke, and the scales fell from my eyes. He spoke, and I was saved. In the depths of my sin and my deadness, I heard his voice. And when he called me, I came out, and I said, yes, Lord. His word came, and it brought life out of death. It brought light out of darkness. There is power in his word. In fact, the power of his word is put on full display. There in John chapter 18, verse 6, when the soldiers come, to arrest Jesus, and they think that they have all the power, and they ask which one he is, which one is Jesus. There in verse uh, chapter 18, verse 6 of John, and as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward, and they fell to the ground. Do you want to know why? He spoke, and he told them who he was. He is the great I am. And with his word, the word that was spoken, those soldiers fell off their feet. Because of, the because of the power of God. But also we see secondly this morning. Look at verses 17 through 18. 
we see the commanding king. He commands the birds to come there in verse 17. God is about to prepare a feast for the birds of the air. They will feast on the flesh of his enemies. There's been a, actually there's been a sharp decline in the population of various scavenger birds around the world. Specifically in Africa and Asia and the Middle East, uh, scavenger bird populations are, we're told, at dangerously low levels. But that fact shouldn't bother us. Because when this day comes, the Lord is going to call these birds to gather from all around the world. Just as, as, as when Noah called, boom, here they come. They will come at his command. And as they do, they will come for the great feast of the Lord. It is about to take place for them. And then we see in verse 18, he commands the flesh to be consumed. In life, these men had been separated. They've been separated by rank, by title, by power. But in death, they are made equal. And what a lesson that is for us. You know, death is the great equalizer. You may be somebody in this life, but when death comes a calling, you're going to find that you are nobody without Jesus. It doesn't matter how much power you had. It doesn't matter how much money you had. It, it won't matter. Without Jesus, you are nothing. Notice that word flesh. It is found in this verse five times. Some people want to blame all the evil in the world on the devil. Others want to blame everything on the wrongs of this world. The devil and the world are terrible enemies, yes. But there is a third enemy, and that is the flesh. Satan may tempt us to do evil, but it is our stinking flesh that follows Satan into sin. And the world is filled with temptations and attractions that the flesh longs to indulge in. But if it weren't for the flesh, Satan and the world would have no power over man at all. Chances are you've been fighting some battle in your flesh even this week, maybe even this morning. Some battle, some battle of the flesh uh, that, that had to be fought. Chances are you have also been battling with the world and the devil. But I have good news. I have good news for us as the church this morning. The book of Revelation talks about the judgment and the destruction of those three enemies. In, in chapter 18, the world is destroyed. In chapter 20, the devil is destroyed. And here in chapter 19, the flesh is taken care of. And so I praise the Lord that there is coming a day when my flesh will no longer ha have, have such charge over my life. It'll cease to be such an issue in my life. I praise the Lord that there is coming a day when the Lord of glory will destroy the power of the flesh forever. But also look at, with me at, at uh, chapter or verses 19 through 21, and we see the conquering king. It seems that here in verse 19, he draws the armies to Armageddon. So we've looked at this battle of Armageddon several times already in our study of Revelation. That great and terrible day has finally arrived here in chapter 19. All the armies of the world, many of whom have been enemies and are enemies today, but at this point they come together, they join forces to, to try to defeat the lion of the tribe of Judah. Could there be anything more foolish than to go up against God? But that's what they do. Their mission will be to put an end to God the saints of God, and even the mention of the name of God. But their plans are going to fail. 
and they're going to fail miserably. Man thinks that he's in control of his destiny. He thinks that he has the decision-making power here. He thinks that his plans and his desires are, are what really make a difference. But God is sovereign, not man. God determines destinies, not man. God rules this world, not man. And the very fact that the armies of the world gather themselves together here at the valley of Megiddo at the very moment that, that, uh, of time that God has, has approved for that to take place shows us that God, not man, is in control. These puny humans think that they're going to defeat the Lord and his church. They think that they are going to, to, to do as they please Pushing God, finally, finally killing God. That's what we always hear, God is dead. That's what they want to see finally take place. They want to see God as dead. But in reality, they're carrying out the, the perfect will of a sovereign God. God knows exactly what he's doing. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's pulling all the strings. He's calling all the shots. He's directing every step to ensure that his plan for the ages is perfectly and completely fulfilled here on this day, on this battlefield. But also look at, with me at verses 20 through 21. He destroys the armies at Armageddon. Not only does the Lord have the power to draw the armies of the world to Armageddon, but he also has the power to defeat them once and for all time. The devil's men are destroyed in verse 20. The Antichrist and the false prophet, notice here, are thrown alive into the lake of fire. These two demonically inspired individuals will be taken out of their positions of power by the sovereignty of God, and cast into the lake of fire alive. For all of these who had followed them, for all of these who had been deceived, to, to, to see with their very eyes that these leaders that they had been hoodwinked by, being thrown alive into the lake of fire. Can you imagine? I imagine at that moment they're probably thinking, we got it wrong. Everything that we've done, all of our allegiances, all of the faith that we've placed into them has been wrong. And I'm sure they know that they're, they're doomed to hell as well at this very moment. But also we see the deceived multitudes are destroyed in verse 21. The assembled armies of the world are defeated in a single moment by the power of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will die at his word and their blood, it says, will flow to the horse's bridles. Think about that. That is incredible. Their souls drop off into hell to await judgment at the great white throne and their flesh is consumed, we're told, by the birds of the air. That's a terrible scene, but it's literally what's going to play out on that day. The world has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and now they must face him as judge. There's truth here that we must not miss again this morning. The very word of God that tells you about a Savior who loves you and who desires to save you to the point where he would give his son upon the cross is the same word that tells us, that he will be judged to those who refuse him. He will be judged to those who have rejected him. The same Bible that preaches a saving gospel to a repenting sinner today will be the means of slaughter in that awful day. Psalm 2, 1 through 5, God says this, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. I wonder this morning, which one do you want to hear 
when all of this is said and done, which one do you want to hear? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Or depart from me, I never knew you. Would you rather hear him speak peace or judgment to yourself? Because you can have the one that you want. Today is the day of decision. You can have the one that you want. Jesus says that if you desire a relationship with him, if you will repent of your sins and by faith trust in him, that you shall be saved. But if you choose to push him away, I don't care how sweet of a, of a young person you think you are or how sweet of an older person you think you are. I don't care how religious of an individual you believe to be. If you do not have a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die and go to hell. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. There is no fence sitting on this decision. You're either a child of God or you are an enemy of God. There's no in-between. And the fact of the matter is, this morning, I want you to know, sitting here in Bryansburg Baptist Church on August the 1st of 2021, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That is a fact. Many don't believe it, but it's true nonetheless. The second coming of Jesus is one of the most major themes in all of the Word of God. There are 1,845 references to it in the Old Testament, and a total of 17 Old Testament books give it prominence. Out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming. That's one out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. And for every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on the second coming of Christ. Church, Jesus is coming. There's an old legend about a man who made a covenant with death. And the contract stated that death would not come unannounced for this man. And so the years went by and at last death appeared for the man. And the old man said, death, you have not been true to your promise. You have not kept your covenant. You promised that you would, come, would not come unannounced, but you never gave me any warning. To which death replied, not so. Every gray hair in your head is a warning. Every one of your lost teeth is a warning. Your eyes growing dim. Your natural power and vigor abating is a warning. Oh yes, I have warned you and warned you continually and with those words death swept that man into eternity church jesus is coming you've been warned you've been warned time and time and time again if you're sitting here this morning you cannot say i was not warned you've been warned jesus is coming the question comes are you ready to meet him are you ready to meet him are you excited about the moment that you get to meet him because he is your, he's your Lord and he's your Savior? Are you saved by his grace? Is everything right between your soul and the Lord? If not, get it right today because Jesus is coming and you must be ready. Or you too will spend an eternity separated from him in a place the Bible calls hell. And it need not be that way. I'd love to share. This morning, if you've got questions about Jesus, you come. You talk to me. We've got some other counselors that can come. If you've got questions about how to know Jesus, you come. Don't leave this place with questions. Leave with the answer. His name is Jesus. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you.
Thank you for the opportunity to just see what's going to take place as you return as the conquering king, as you return as the one who will lead us as the army of God in the battle. But we're going to be battling in white robes because we're not going to need to do any fighting because you're going to open your mouth and the battle will be won. Lord, I pray for, for my friends here today who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that they might come and they might say yes to you. I pray for the one that needs to join this church family and, and begin to serve you in this place. Lord, I pray that they would feel comfortable to come and become a part of this family. Lord, for those who just need to spend some, some time here at the altar, Lord, I pray that they might come. Lord, there's a work that needs to be done today. And Lord, only the Holy Spirit himself can do it. So we pray for all distractions to be removed, that you might move and that you might work as only you can. Fortune in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.